Good morning. Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. It's so good to have you with us this morning here at GMFC Studios. This is a work in progress, let me tell you. You always hear construction delays. Well, here at Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center, we're living that out. We have nothing but delays in construction. Everything is delayed because of COVID. You can't get, insert, can't get certain things. You can't um, get people to come in because they're too busy <laughs> helping everybody else. But we're still believing God. So I ask you, please, I know that we just have a blue, black, blue background, but hang with us. You're going to see great changes over the next few weeks, and we're excited about those. Stuff is starting to come in, and uh, we're waiting for some final pieces uh, of our technology to uh, get here and some of the equipment and some work to be done. Uh, but I want you to know you will see something a lot more than what you're seeing today. I know I'm handsome, but you want to see a lot more than me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, we're just so thankful to the Lord for each and every one of you that's joined with us here. And uh, we're excited about what God is doing and the direction in which he is taking us. And we were talking uh, last week about your belief system and the power that's connected to how you believe and what you believe. And I told you that we would pick up today talking about uh, deliverance connected to your belief and how the truth of God is what triggers your deliverance. It is the truth of God that triggers your deliverance. As a matter of fact, those of you that are with us on Facebook, you ought to just throw that in the tagline or, or post that or tweet that as they say, my deliverance is found in my belief in the word of God. It is the truth of the word of God that brings deliverance. It is the truth of the word of God that brings deliverance. We're all looking for deliverance from something. If we're going to be honest, all of us are looking for deliverance from something. And we can't pretend like we have it all together. We're living in a day now where it's time out for, you know, if you look at the world, everyone in the world is kind of just letting their hair down and doing their thing. Well, we in the church need to understand we need to be real or keep it 100, as I hear on the radio all the time. We need to keep it 100, not only with people that are around us, but with ourselves and with God. Because truth be told, God already knows whatever it is you're hiding behind. And if you're looking for deliverance, if you're looking for a way, um, you're not going to find it in your self-help books. You're not going to find it um, in, you know, uh, all these different types of man-made uh, elements. Um, you'll only find true deliverance and lasting deliverance in the truth of the Word of God. So once you begin to hear and then believe what is true, the right things about yourself, which is true according to the Word of God, it will trigger and bring about an acceleration of your deliverance. It will bring about an acceleration of your deliverance. I was talking to my son yesterday and I was telling him he has to believe in himself. I say to you today, you have to believe in yourself. 
if nobody else believes in you, if nobody else is going to encourage you or push you, you have to believe in yourself. And I know it's uh, knowing the truth which becomes the catalyst of your deliverance. Now, contrast uh, what I've been telling you uh, with people who are focused on living right without believing right. There are many people who are trying to live right, but they don't believe right. And they will only experience transient breakthroughs to the extent their willpower, their self-control, or their self-discipline will persist. But if you're going to be real with yourself, every one of these things, your willpower, your self-persistence, your self-discipline, all have a finite ending point. You get to the end of your road and that's when you begin to fall apart. You may last for a little while, but you typically uh, fall apart. But those who begin to focus on and believe in the truth about God will experience lasting freedom without effort. All you need to do is begin to believe in God and the, the power of his word. Jesus was not, you know, doing a stand-up routine like we see so many people do today when he said knowing the truth will make you free. He wasn't trying to just give the latest tweet or put out the latest quote that people would run around with and say. Jesus has the truth that you've been searching for. John 14 and 6 tells us Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In love, Jesus lays down his life for our lives so that we can be free. The whole purpose of uh, Jesus coming and laying down his life is so that we could escape the bondage of our own lives. And I'm believing that as we journey through this together, uh, we will all come to know the truth of God's grace like never before and that a transformation will take place in your thinking. If your thinking does not transform, then you will have a hard time transforming yourself. Now, I want you to, to really understand this because this, this is what's really being challenged in society and challenged with so many people that are dealing with depression and dealing with uh, they're at the end of the road, they're at the end of their rope, uh, all these different things is hope. And I want you to understand, and you ought to write this down in the comments, uh, with God, there is always hope. With God, there is always hope. With God, you are never hopeless. I have a message for you uh, that I want to share today. There is something that you must take to heart. I don't know what all of your struggles may be or uh, everything that you're going through, but I want you to know that God loves you. And no matter how many mistakes you've made in your life, and believe me, I have made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake, and I've even asked God myself, why is it that you still put up with me? And I, I don't know what your situation is or, or the level or number of your mistakes uh, that you've made, but no matter how dark they are or how dire and how desperate your circumstances seem, it's not over for you. And because it's not over for you, you need not give up. Don't throw in the towel. It's not the end of your existence. There is hope and there is help. I want you to understand this. There is hope and there is help. God loves you so much that he wants to illuminate your darkness right now. In this very moment, even as I'm speaking to you, God's desire is to illuminate, which 
uh, destroys the darkness and the dark places in your life. And he wants to do it not tomorrow. He wants to do it right now as I'm speaking into the atmosphere of your life. It is not my words that is transforming the darkness into the light. It is the power of the truth of God's love for you that is delivering you. The issues of your past do not determine the destination of your future. And you've got to hold on to that. What I may have been, who I may have been, what I may have done, uh, you know, where I may have hung out, uh, you know, the friends I may have had, the things I may have said, these things do not determine my destiny. They don't determine my future. God can give you a new beginning, a fresh start right here and right now. If you look around us right now, we're in a fresh start as a ministry. We're in a, doing uh, or in uncharted territories. But God already knows the direction and the way that we need to go. And God wants to work all things together for your good. And I'm not talking about religion here. And it's important that you understand that. I'm not a religion guy. I know that may sound crazy. I'm, you know, Bishop Roy J. Lysa, the pastor of Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center. I'm the pastor of a church, a local church here in Columbus, Ohio. But I'm not here to, to talk to you or to teach you religion. Religion has been the cause for many people's consistent failure. God wants to work everything together for your good. I'm not talking even about theology. Now, I believe that you, you have to have something that you believe in, amen, but I'm not talking about theology. I'm talking to you about Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of, of your faith. And I want to introduce to, to some of you the real God that I serve, not the God that you may have heard about, not the God that's been trumped up, not the God that's waiting to, to drop the hammer on you because you've just hit, crossed that last line and you've made that last mistake and you've given into that addiction just one, two, one time too many. I want to talk to you about the real God and the real love that he has for you. I want to introduce Jesus to you in a new way, a way that may be different from what you've heard or seen from other people in my position in the past. I'm not introducing the religious Jesus to you that some of you already know all too well. I want you to meet the Jesus that walked along the dusty roads of Jerusalem and walked upon the top of the sea. This Jesus was the one that the sick and the poor and the sinful and the brokenhearted and the outcast instinctively gravitated to and felt so at ease with even in the midst of their sin. He was God and is God in the flesh. And he manifested to each and everyone the tangible love of God. In his presence, there was no condemnation. This is the Jesus I'm talking about. There was no con condemnation, even for those who may have been overtaken in their faults. A far cry from what many of us believe today. There is a standard, and that standard started and ended with Love. Yes, there is a standard, but that standard is in, encapsulated in the love of God. It's enveloped with love through and through and through. Jesus kept his harsh words, watch this, only for those who were perfect in their own estimation. I've learned to stop faking the funk 
and just tell Jesus, I'm a broken vessel and I need his healing hand. But Jesus, even though he may have had harsh words as you read in the word of God, you have to read the context into whom those harsh words were directed. It was never to those who were seeking to be loved. It was those who were rejecting love because they felt they were good enough as it was. If you study scripture, you will see that Jesus did not really get along with the religious people of his day. You know, those were the people who paraded around with their noses up in the air and their uh, holler and, and their attitudes and, and all their being was so perfect. These religious folks were extremely arrogant and very cruel and judgmental. The Pharisees were critical, fault-finding, legalistic, pretentious, bigoted, and most of all, they were ignorant. They declared their piousness for God, but when they had an encounter with the, with the one to whom they said they represented God in the flesh, they were too self-occupied to even recognize that it was God that they were dealing with. Some of their descendants are still here in this world today. You may even know some of them. When I look at GMFC, I often wonder just how many are functioning right now in our own ministry. How many of uh, our own members feel like they're just pious in and of themselves because they feel like they dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. I know some of you have encountered them and felt the scorn and the condemnation and the judgment and the backbiting and the talking behind your back. But the God that they keep introducing is not the God that I want you to know. It's not the God that I believe is true. It's not the God that you need to be focused on. You need to be religious, you don't, or you don't need to be religious to have access to the God that I know. You don't need to dot all your I's and cross your T's to meet the God that I know. The real Jesus did not come to bring a new religion. He did not come to be served or waited upon. Jesus came to serve, and serve he did with excellence. The real Jesus created the universe with the command of his own word and by, uh, and by right deserves the service of the very thing that he created, which is creation itself, but he still came to serve his own creation. He kneeled down with his own hands and washed the grime and filth from his disciples' feet. Those same hands would later be pierced at the cross and he would wash us with his very blood which would flow from his side taking the filth and grime of our sin upon himself. One of the issues I've seen uh, believers deal with is accepting and believing in the grace of God. In the grace of God. Many of us spend a lot of time trying to atone for our sin. Even more of us spend time feeling guilty over the sin uh, after we've accepted Jesus into our lives and should be enjoying the freedom that comes from forgiveness. We still feel bound up. One of the principles of some of the um, recovery programs that are in existence is going out and, and making amends, going out and finding the people that you've harmed or you're hurt in some way and telling them you're sorry or, uh, as they say, accepting responsibility for your action. Let me, let me let you in on a secret. You can't accept the responsibility in the sense 
of receiving the right judgment or making the right amends for the things you've done. Only Jesus can. And not only can he, he did. He came and he received, he made the amends for you with God. Now the enemy is real good at playing on your emotions and your feelings and, and, and our flesh and our nature. Imagine for a minute if you uh, never committed sin, never made a mistake, never had a bad choice or never invested in the wrong thing, how you would feel. You would not only feel free, but you would feel empowered to live according to the wisdom which had brought you the same freedom from error. Your flesh has a desire all of its own and wants you to live according to its own lust. And then there's the enemy of your faith who wants you to live contrary to God's word of life. And this is the war which is being raised or waged in your mind. It's being waged in your heart. The root cause of the struggle is based upon what we really believe about God. Too many of us see God as religious. As a result of being religious, when we make mistakes, we fall short or we fail, we feel as if God is now angry with us, against us, or our relationship with him is now broken off. Many of us feel this way also because uh, that's what we've been taught and that's what we've experienced with others. So we put God and our relationship with him into the same framework as our relationship with other believers and other non-believers alike. We make God like everything and everybody else that we've encountered. But God is so unique and so different and so above every experience that you've had. He's not like everybody else. Some of us are in relationships where we feel as if our friends, our loved ones, and, our, and, and, and anyone else are perpetually unsatisfied with us, only waiting for us to finally do something that appeases them. We begin to see our relationship with God through this same lens. There are times when, you know, I tease my wife. There were times I would really get frustrated because I would wash a dish. I would put it in the dish drain. And she would take the dish out and she would wash it again. So the next time I washed the dish, I tried to wash it even harder and longer and better. Thinking that it's clean, I would put it in the dish drain. My wife would come along and she would wash it right behind me and put it back in the drain. And I felt like I was never measuring up at least to washing dishes. I could never get it right. I would miss something it just wasn't clean enough, it wasn't bright enough, it, it didn't dry right, whatever the case was that drove her to, to drive again. Or maybe that's just a compulsiveness that she has. Maybe that's something that both of us need to work through. But God is not sitting back judging your every weakness. He's not shaking his head in stark disappointment at your mediocrity or your never-ending failure. This is how we see each other, but this is not how God sees us. He does not see you as a failure. He does not see you as one that doesn't finish. He does not see you as one that always comes up short. He doesn't see you as somebody who's worthless. 
And it's for this reason that many of us won't run to God, but away, we run away from Him when we fall uh, short or don't do the things that we should. We feel as if we can't find comfort in a loving Savior because we have offended Him too greatly. This has been our experience naturally with others and even people that we call close and those that we have intimate relationships with. We failed each other and we, we could not find grace from the ones we failed, but we only find rejection or anger or frustration or bitterness or coldness or uh, a, a sense of pushing us away. Who would turn to someone who only uh, wanted to re, uh, reject you and scorn you for the mistakes that you've made? We know we failed. We know we sinned. We know we didn't do it the way it should have been done. Not only do we know this, we don't want to be rejected by the one who's supposed to love us, which really just drives that final nail in the coffin of our own despair. What we've created in ourselves is a great deception, a very powerful wrong belief about who God is, which has trapped us in a devastating cycle of condemnation, guilt, fear, and defeat. And watch this. You get to a place where then you feel like you can't share your experience with somebody else because all you're going to get is rejection. That's not the God that I know. That's not the God that I believe in. I can share everything with him without fear of reprisal, without fear of condemnation, without fear of rejection, without fear of pushing me aside. I want to introduce to you the real God that I know, the God of infinite grace. The God I've come to know is repugnant to the religious, but gracious and irresistible to those who are hurting and those who are dealing with brokenness. We have to shift our thinking and thereby shift the power which is governing our belief system. We must begin to believe that God is a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. He loves us more than we can ever fully understand. He doesn't hold our issues against us. He doesn't carry them over our head. He's not waiting for us to fall down so that he can stop us out of existence or revoke our citizenship in his kingdom or adoption into his family. This is the God that I serve. This is the God that I love. This is the God that I know. I want you to know him like I know him. And if you could change your view of him, you will find out that he has already changed his view of you. He's already changed his view of you. John 4, 14 through 19 says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sichar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now uh, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? 
for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence uh, then hast thou that living water? Are thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now, when I read this passage of scripture, what I see is Jesus looking for, reaching out to find someone who was hurting, who was being rejected by somebody else or many others, who was being scorned or rebuked. This passage of scripture declares the urgency with which Jesus had to take the route he did through Samaria because the scripture opens with, he must needs go. Now, there is a sense of urgency or a level of a, a, an emergency pending here. I can imagine and visualize in my own mind that Jesus knew he was about to have an encounter with a woman there that uh, needed to know what the love and grace of God could do for her. Maybe you're standing at the well right now and Jesus is standing there right now with you. I'm sure uh, that the disciples were surprised about this change in the route. Why go this way to Galilee? What was the urgency in taking this kind of direction? Like many of us in the church who want to bypass hurting those who have failed in their journey. We want to alter our course to never intersect with those who have made mistakes. But Jesus demonstrates an urgency in reaching out to share his grace with everyone that's standing in need. You see, it was the custom of the Jews to stay away from Samaria and the Samaritans, whom they perceived to be spiritually inferior to them. What they did not see was Jesus had made a divine appointment at the well with, his, with this Samaritan woman, and he needed to get there to change her very life. We can see in their conversation that this woman went through a transformation. But what I need you to see and to understand, most importantly, is that she did not come to the well to meet Jesus. Jesus came to the well to introduce his grace and love to her. Grace is not waiting for you to come to it. Grace is looking to go meet you right where you are. Oh, if we could have that kind of grace uh, that, that 
our grace would be going out to meet those that are standing in need right in the darkest place of their life in the middle of their failure this is what we as ambassadors of the grace of God in the earth should be doing and not functioning as the disciples who so readily reflect the attitude of the church today that people should come to them and then only certain people have the right to entry Jesus is for us a very present help in our time of need I heard that in Psalm 46 and 1 Jesus knows your struggle even when your struggle was brought on because of your own rebelliousness he still won't abandon nor forsake you he won't punish you by withholding his love he won't reject you or cast you away what Jesus does is he goes out of his own way to take a different route so that he can find you right where you are get in the middle of your path so you can have a chance encounter with him that is what a divine appointment for your freedom is and Jesus and the grace of God and the love of God have a divine appointment with you right where you are at right now somebody ought to give God some praise the sign above my head in the studio is praise breaker Jesus is coming looking for you he's coming after you to share his love with you and the fact that you're here today listening to, to, to this lesson that I've been teaching tells me that Jesus is reaching out to you to rescue you and to heal you to shower his grace upon you so that uh, you can live without his or with his unlimited forgiveness and without his uh, uh, condemnation you have to begin to visualize this for yourself beyond just the things that I'm saying, the words that are just flowing out of my mouth. Think of yourself like the disciples on the uh, boat in the midst of the raging storm where it seemed it was over for them. And off in the distance they saw something. Could it have been a ghost or an aberration? No, it was Jesus walking on the water to them. Jesus coming to meet them in their storm. Not waiting for the storm clouds to pass over. What I see is a savior with the power over the storm in your life. He wasn't struggling to get to them. He was skipping to the loop my darling, right in the middle of every wind and every wave. Uh, Jesus wasn't struggling against those winds. He wasn't fighting against the raging water. Jesus walked over all of it. The storms of your life are beneath the power of Jesus and his authority. This means that Jesus is greater than my stuff. He's greater than my struggle. He's greater than my fear. He's greater than my failure. He's greater than my addiction. He's greater greater than my adversary. He's greater than my adversity. I am facing right now everything that I will ever face. Jesus is greater than it all. How amazing is the love and the grace of God. What does Jesus say when it comes to us in the middle of our calamity? Well, I'll tell you what the truth of the word of God says, found in Matthew 14 and 27. It says, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. I remember days when I knew I was in trouble as a young boy, and my mother said, wait till your father got home. And when my father got home, I know a whooping was waiting for me. I'm here to tell you, even as right as my father was, 
ones for whooping me. Jesus is not coming to whoop you. You don't have to hide under your blankets. You don't have to try to sneak away under your bed and hope that you're not seen because Jesus wants to love you right in the midst of your despair. I feel a little bit like Arnold from the TV show Different Strokes. What are you talking about, Willis? For some of us, this is both confusing and liberating, the things that I'm saying. How can I have good cheer? Doesn't he know what I've done? But the great I am is with me. I can have confidence that he has found me. Only he can take what is overwhelming me and put it beneath my own feet so that just as he's walking above it, I can walk above it. This is what he did for Peter. He told Peter to come, step out on faith, walk on the power of God's grace. Peter walked on the top of the storm and uh, even enjoyed this liberation. Uh, even in the midst of enjoying this liberation, Peter stumbled again and was captivated by his fear and, and those things that were surrounding him. But Jesus didn't let him drown. Jesus still reached out to pull Peter up. This is the Jesus that I know. This is the Jesus that I want to introduce to you. The Jesus that saves. The Jesus that heals. The Jesus that delivers. The Jesus that sets the captives free. The Jesus that mends the brokenhearted. This is the Jesus that I know. I want you to come and know him as well. Not the Jesus that some have introduced to you. Not the Jesus that's telling you, you better do this. But the Jesus that just wants to love you. Let me tell you what the psalmist says in Psalm 23, 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth only over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How awesome is God. He's been to my future and he knows my past. He has created for me a plan and a strategy to avoid every pitfall waiting for me. And even when I take a detour in my own travel plans, he's still there to get me right back on course. How awesome is God? Is there anything too hard for him to do? Jesus has become my door of hope. My access to grace. The psalmist clearly shows us it's not the good shepherd that leads us astray. But yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Even when your trouble is due to your own willfulness and your own stubbornness. God is still right there. He will not leave your side. The enemy has lied to you. Your family and your friends and ministers have lied to you. Let me tell you the truth. You are are precious in the eyes of the Lord even in your darkest moments you are still precious even in your most wicked days you are still precious in the eyes of the Lord and he's coming to meet you to illuminate the darkness in your life 
Hosea 2 and 15 tells me, and I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope, and she shall sing there. And as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt, in Hebrew, anchor means trouble. So when you find yourself in trouble, be confident that your time there will not be long. You will walk life through it. Right here today, someone is realizing that they are in acre but did not know how to get out of acre God wants you to know he has an open door of hope for you to walk right out of the darkness that's in your life and the terrible place that you're in and you can walk from that into his marvelous light let me prophesy over you right now. Things are going to get better for you. The breakthroughs that you've been waiting for are coming your way. God, go ahead and step through the door of God's hope and get out of your despair. Jesus is the doorway. Jesus is the gateway. Jesus is the place of transaction where power is shifting from your trouble to your deliverance. Jesus is leading you to your freedom. Everybody in here today, everyone listening across the, the television uh, you ought to know you ought to be going crazy you ought to be losing your mind right now because Jesus is in the process of restoring you all glory and power and dominion and majesty has been given over to him what a mighty God that we serve hallelujah he's mighty stop trying to clean yourself before you take a bath I used to laugh at my wife. As a matter of fact, many of us laugh at my wife when it comes to cleaning. She's the only person that I know that cleans the dishes before she puts them in the dishwasher. And I would always wonder, then, what is the purpose of the dishwasher? Because the dish is already clean when you put it in there. This is what many of us are doing. We're taking a bath before we clean, well, we're cleaning ourselves before we take a bath. Taking a bath is what cleans us. And you can't clean yourself without it. You have to come as you are and experience the grace of God and let his blood wash you white as snow. Bring all your dirt. Bring all your grime. Bring all your filth. Bring all your despair. Bring all your trouble. Bring all your fear. Bring all your addictions. And whatever it is you're dealing with, bring it all to the altar of God. Turn your life over to him and live in freedom from this moment forward. You can just, if you're sitting watching me, stand up and take one step forward and you're approaching the altar as a symbol that I'm stepping away from the things that are troubling me and I'm stepping into the grace of God. You ought to just get up and take one step forward to tell yourself, to align yourself with what God's word says. I'm stepping into the grace and the love of God that he has for me. You have to shift your thinking, but don't shift it in, uh, in your emotions or in your feelings or your circumstances or your human conjectures. Shift it on the word of God. Shift it on the word which is true. Jesus is the word of truth. 
I'm sure you have heard it said, God is angry with you. God is very disappointed with you. God is allowing all of this negative stuff to happen to you because uh, uh, he's punishing you for your nonsense. Don't believe the hype. Don't listen to this baseless gossip about God. You have to listen to what David said about God in Psalm 103, 8-12. Because this is the God I know. I don't know what other people have been telling you about the God they know. But I want to tell you about the God I know. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Jesus is the way to get away from your stuff. Isn't this awesome? Don't get it twisted because the phrase toward those who fear him is plastered in there. Because Jesus defines the word fear as worship in Matthew 4 and 10. So those who fear him are those who worship him. It's not about reverence and honor. It's not about being scared. What I see about God is something different than what some of you may have heard in times gone by. Here is the catch that many people have missed, which is why there are so many frustrated Christians in the church. All of your sins, past, present, and future, have been already judged and forgiven and punished on the body of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is why I can say with confidence, God is not mad at me. God is not dealing with me according to my sins. He deals with me according to his abundant grace and his over uh, unending mercy because my sins have already been dealt with on the cross. And I know people take this out of context and they run with it and feel like they can live any old kind of way. But that's not what I'm saying to you today. What I'm saying is, is God has already dealt with your stuff so you don't have to deal with it. Now he wants you to deal with his love. We can't even fathom how far the east is from the west. We think with our finite minds in a geographical way within the uh, construct of the earth. God is the creator of not only the earth, uh, but the universe which is ever expanding. And all that is created by him. So how far is the east from the west? There are frontiers in the cosmos and in the galaxies far beyond our own that even our most advanced telescopes can't see. God thinks in infinite terms that our finite minds can't comprehend. And this God of the fight of the infinite has declared in his word that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for us from us. So all I can say to that is, wow, how awesome is the love of God for us. He doesn't do like we do. Hold it in your face. Remind you of it. Just do like the old way of teaching dogs not to poop in the house. You'd stick their nose in it. We don't do that anymore. We love them. There's something that we've missed about God. 
something that we've been struggling with for far too long. And it's time for us to be free. If God has removed our transgression, watch this. He can't be judging you for the very thing he's removed from you. Oh, glory be to God. He's dealt with your transgression. So he's not judging you right now for your, uh, what you're dealing with. Your errors, your mistakes, your issues. Because he's removed it as far as the east is from the west. What we need to learn to do is move from self-consciousness to savior consciousness. Let me get back to the woman at the well for a minute. You, you remember that that woman that Jesus uh, just had to go meet, uh, well, she had a past that she was not very proud of, which is why she came to the well at a time when no one else should have been there. But Jesus was there waiting for her. He was there to bring freedom to her, not to condemn her. And he uh, drew her in with that love, that grace and compassion. She never felt exposed with him. When she said she didn't have a husband, Jesus did not put on her a blast or, humili or humiliate her or throw shade at her. What Jesus did was encourage her by saying, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. You see, Jesus sandwiched what he already knew about her in between two compliments with compassion and lacking sarcasm. This opened this woman right up to be healed. And after this encounter, she went from being self-conscious to being savior conscious. And she became so focused on Christ, she became a great evangelist of the grace of Jesus. She went back to her village and testified about Jesus to the very same people who were talking about her scorning her and rebuking her and the Bible declares that many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified he told me all that I ever did John 4 and 39 Jesus is not out to embarrass you he wants to meet you right where you are and change your life forever this is what Jesus wants this is the Jesus that I know. This is the Jesus that I believe in. And it brings power into my life. He knows everything that I've done. And he still loves me with an everlasting love. Let the love and grace of God transform your heart and mind now from the inside just like it did for this woman at the well. Maybe some of you can relate to this woman. You know how to look for love in all the wrong places. Right here, right now, Jesus is offering you real intimacy that will fully satisfy your ever-aching need. He is offering you a deep sense of rest that can only be found in his perfect and unconditional love. You have to shift your thinking about God and about his grace towards you. When you do this, everything will change in your life for the better. I'm going to stop right here for today. Don't leave here today with the same wrong understanding about God's grace. The things that you may have heard, the things that you think you know, 
You have to leave here with a renewed and refreshed thought about the grace and the love of God right where you are in the here and the now. The love of Jesus is waiting. He must needs go to the place where you are to share an amazing love with you. To let you know you don't have to hide from him because he's already dealt with the condition of your trouble. And he loves you right where you are. God bless you. May heaven smile upon you and grant to you great peace. May you begin to feel the love of God. May you open your eyes and see the man that's standing before you. With open arms to embrace you as you are. To share with you a love like you've never known before. Not a manipulative love. But a love that says, as you are, I accept you. I love you. And it's that love that will change your thinking. And when your thinking changes, you'll begin to reflect that love back. You'll do the things that emulate the love that you're receiving. God bless you. Have an awesome week. And I look to see you real soon. Here at GMFC Studios, where the love of God abounds, know that we love you and we are praying for you. I am Bishop Roy J. Lyseth, pastor of this ministry, and I definitely approve of this sermon because it is the word of truth from the God that I know. <laughs>